Maybe there's a favorite story that a grandparent or someone that you know well has told you growing up. And when you see a similar circumstance unfolding in your life, that story starts to come alive for you even more than the first few times that you heard it. And as we look at what takes place in these verses that sort of serve as the transition between Saul's conversion and Peter's ministry to the Gentiles, starting in Acts chapter 10, there is a sense, as we come to these chapters, I think, in which there are stories from the Old Testament and even from Jesus' ministry that are echoed in what takes place in these two related accounts about Peter's ministry. And so we'll start with the first one. Now, as Peter was traveling through all those regions, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. And this traveling through all those regions, as we look at that in context of the book of Acts, is not just that he was on a sightseeing trip. It's rather probably what we saw Philip doing in Acts chapter 8, which was he continued preaching in all the cities until he arrived at the next place that God wanted him to go. And so Peter also seems to be outside of Jerusalem, traveling throughout the regions and preaching the gospel. When he comes to this man, finding him who's been bedridden eight years for being paralyzed, he says to him, Jesus Christ heals you, get up and make your bed. And what was his response? Immediately he gets up. These things, I think, have echoes for us in what Luke had already recorded in Luke chapter 5. So if you would turn there with me, Luke chapter 5. I know this is a little bit unusual, but uh, for the sake of staying alert and involved, if someone would be interested in reading Luke chapter 5, verse 17 through 26. Anyone uh, willing to read that for us? Okay, go ahead.
So as we look at this passage, do you see the connection? And, and a part of the reason that we miss this, I think, is we look at Luke and Acts as two separate things. They're like two halves of the same book or two volumes in the same series. And so when I think, when, when, when Luke puts this account here of what Peter is doing, Luke wants us to think back to that passage of what Jesus did in Luke chapter 5. And Jesus certainly is making the point about his authority to forgive sins, but also does the healing. Peter is healing perhaps more in line with what we saw in Acts 3, where he says to the lame man, get up and walk. But we see very similar connections here. Jesus Christ heals you, get up and make your bed. In the account of Christ, get up, pick up your stretcher and go home. And we also see the fact that he then gets up. We see the response of the people in verse 35. All who lived at Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. And uh, Luke 5, 26, they were all struck with astonishment and began glorifying God. And they were filled with fear, saying, we have seen remarkable things today. These two accounts, the one that we see here in Acts and the one in Luke chapter 5, I think the point of them both has to do with the power of the gospel being shown through miraculous signs as being something that was from God. And the response of the people bears this out. They turn to the Lord. Now, one of the questions that we have to ask ourselves is, did the people turn to God only because of the miracle? Or was seeing the miracle enough to convert them? And I think we'd have to say the answer is no. There was a lot of people in Israel who saw the miracles of Christ, who saw the miracles that the apostles performed even when they were ministering before Christ ascended into heaven, and they did not believe. And Jesus said, I've given you a number of signs, and you still did not believe. So the miracles themselves did not convert people. And yet the miracles did demonstrate God's power and serve as a way to authenticate the message that it was from God. And they did bring opportunity for specific benefit to the people involved in these circumstances. And so as we see here Peter's ministry, we see a connection between Jesus' ministry and Peter's ministry. We see also a connection between Peter's ministry in Jerusalem and Peter's ministry in this more remote region along the, the sea region in the northwestern corner of Israel. And so we have here people who are seeing that God is working not just in Jerusalem and didn't just work in Jesus and that was done or that was confined to that place, but it's also taking place in another place. And we see this in connection with the gospel message spreading into that region. And then we come in verse 36, and we see a related account. Now in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. And why he comes back and forth between these two names in this account, I think will become important when we see this in verse 40. But simply put, uh, her name meant gazelle in both languages. That's not hugely significant. It's just something to note. And here's someone who is a, a lady who's described as a disciple and someone who is abounding with kindness and charity. And it says, which she continually did. It wasn't something that she did periodically and then was done with it and then did something else, but rather this characterized her life. I think that an important passage to help us to understand this, or one that I think Paul would perhaps build off of, would be in 1 Timothy chapter 5. So turn over there with me, if you would, to 1 Timothy chapter 5.
And uh, perhaps someone could read for us 1 Timothy 5, verses 9 and 10. One of the adults, one of the kids, anyone can do it. So Paul's criteria for the sort of widows that the church should de definitely provide for was exemplified in the sort of lifestyle that this woman in Acts 9 shows forth for us as a pattern. It says she was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity. And so this would have been someone who perhaps in connection with, like there was a group of widows in Jerusalem that we saw in Acts chapter 6, it seems as though there was also a group of widows here in Joppa. We see this uh, connected with the fact that uh, in verse 39, all the widows stood beside him weeping and showing the tunics and garments that she used to make when she was with him. And so there is more than one widow. There's a group of widows to whom she has been ministering, even being a widow herself, and she exemplifies what Paul describes in 1 Timothy chapter 5. But what takes place is, verse 37, that she fell sick and died, and when they had washed her body, they laid it in an upper room. And this has connection with at least two separate accounts in the Scripture. So turn back with me, if you would, to 1 Kings chapter 17. First Kings chapter 17 and verses 17 through 24. Someone else like to read those for us. The main parallel from this story, I think, is this idea of the upper room. We see this in 1 Kings 17 and verse 19. And then we see here in Acts uh, that, that Tabitha Dorcas is laid also in the upper room. We also see in the ministry of Jesus in Luke chapter 7 a similar sort of account. 
and go to uh, chapter, Luke chapter 7, verse 11. And someone want to read for us Luke 7, 11 to 17. Go ahead, Jonathan. And then one more in Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, and we'll read verses 21 to 24 to start with. And if you'd read 35 to 43. Uh, 35 to 43, please. Now let's turn back to Acts chapter 9. And now let's see the parallels to these other accounts as we go through Acts 9. It happened that she fell sick and died, and when they had washed her body, they laid it in an upper room. That has echoes of the story of Elijah, right, with the, with the son of the woman that, with whom he's staying. And then, verse 38 since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, having heard that Peter was there, sent two men to him, imploring him 
Do not delay in coming to us. We didn't look at the story of Jesus and Lazarus, but certainly that reminds us of that as well. So Peter arose and went with them. When he arrived, they brought him into the upper room. All the widows are weeping and showing them the, the way that she administered to them. But then Peter sends them all out in the same way that um, Jesus sends them all out in Mark chapter 5 and in a similar way to Elijah taking the little boy up to the upper room by himself and praying before God. It says, He knelt down and he prayed and he turned to the body and he said, Tabitha, arise. Now here's the interesting thing. Uh, Mark 5, 41, Jesus said to her, the little girl, Talitha kum, little girl, get up. Here, Peter says, Tabitha kum, get up, Tabitha. She opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up, and calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. Like the man that was being carried out of the city, being buried, his mother's weeping next to him, Jesus raises the young man from the dead, presents her to his mother. Here, the widow who has died, who's served and, and, and been taken away from the people that she loved and ministered to, he gives her back to them. What's the response? Verse 42. It became known all over Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Again, two stories. What's the common thread between these two stories? Lame man, get up. Dead woman, get up. God's power raised both of them and restored them to health. Not just in Jerusalem, not just in the ministry of Jesus, but in the ministry of the apostles, and in the ministry of the apostles in another place, not just in Jerusalem and Judea where the gospel starts to spread and the church starts to be built, but in other places as well. And so connect it back with Acts 1.8. The gospel message, the church is being built, the Holy Spirit is working, not just in Jerusalem, but also in Judea, Samaria, and onward to the other parts of the earth. And so we see these few short verses here at the end of Acts 9, and we might skip over them and say, well, this is just sort of a transition from one thing to the other, but we see here all of these connections, not just to... Uh, a transition from Saul's ministry to Peter's ministry, but also these connections with the way that God worked in the Old Testament, the way that God worked through Jesus, the way that God had already worked through the apostles, and the way that God was going to continue to work in building his church. And as we look at these examples, what are lessons that we could think about, things that we could be encouraged by? The same God who said to them, rise, is the same God who has power and works in us today. The same God who put Aeneas in that circumstance where he was bedridden eight, year as he was, eight years as he was paralyzed is the same God who restored him to health and was glorified in both circumstances. The same God who has the power to raise one from the dead, even temporarily, it was a resuscitation. She died again someday. But in this, we see a glimpse of the hope of the resurrection where we are raised never to die again. We see here the compassion of God. We see here the power of the Holy Spirit in working to build the church. We see the ministry and the effect that one woman had in faithfully serving God in the place where he put her. They were sad that she had been taken 
from them. And perhaps there's a, a related application to be made along the lines of God's work can certainly go forward without any one of us individually. But if we're faithfully serving God, there ought to be at least a little bit of a gap if something were to happen to us and we were no longer able to serve God in the same way. Are we serving God faithfully as this woman did? And do we respond with joy when we see God's work? It's easy for us to ask God for things all the time. And that's good. We should ask God for things. We should call on God's name. But when he answers those prayers, do we rejoice? Verse 43, we didn't get to yet. It will become important when we look at it next Sunday. And Peter stayed many days in Joppa with a tanner named Simon. And just another interesting observation, connection between names and, and words. What was Peter's name originally? Simon. In the next chapter, we're going to see that God sends Cornelius to find Simon, who's staying with Simon, by the sea, so that the Gentiles can hear the gospel. God is at work in his word, and so many places in scripture, there are echoes of what God has already done, and what God is doing now, and what God is going to do, and so as we look at God's word, let's look for those connections and see how God's word comes alive and brings us, as Paul says in Romans, patience and encouragement so that through the comfort of the scriptures we might have hope. Let's pray. Lord, a short passage that we looked at tonight, one that hopefully will help us to consider how you have been working all throughout history to point us to Christ, to point us to yourself, to receive glory from the way that you have worked in the world, to help us to be renewed and encouraged even today as we look back on the things that you have done, as we anticipate the things that you have yet to do. Lord, we pray that these truths would affect our hearts and lives even this week. And just as you dramatically changed Saul's life and turned him from being a persecutor of the church to one who is persecuted along with the church, you took the church from being persecuted to being at peace. You also show, even in these brief stories, that your power was not lacking from one place to another, from one time of history to another, but rather you continue to work all throughout history for your own glory. And we are privileged to be a part of it. Even today, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.